0: Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. It's their love for Jesus and their willingness to serve. And they do an incredible job. And just that message that we believe confirms that no matter the situations and circumstances of our lives, what we believe dictates how we live. And it's a beautiful reminder to us on this Easter Sunday. We are so grateful that you are here. I, uh, I just want to say from my family to yours and from our church family uh, to you, we want to we wanna wish you a very happy, happy and healthy and chocolate-filled and peep-filled uh, Easter. And we are so glad that you guys are here with us today. Today we celebrate collectively the greatest miracle in all of history, the culmination of the greatest love story ever told. It is a truth. It is a reality that changes everything and everyone it touches. It's the Easter story. You know, the Easter, when I think of Easter, I think of at times impossible situations. Um, Talking of an impossible situation. My mama uh, bought my little boy. He he celebrated his first birthday a couple weekends ago. And uh, she she bought him this book. And it was, it just, it had a picture of a nursery rhyme character on the front of it. And it was just a little disturbing. (laughs) Impossible situations. Have you ever thought about Humpty Dumpty's story? You ever put much thought into that nursery rhyme? Now, let, let me just start off here. Nursery rhymes... At their very heart, they're just a little weird. They're just a little different and they're just a little disturbing, right? And there's always a little dark turn. You just hope not to go there. But man, we share with our, as a dad of four kids, man, we do nursery rhymes all the time. And maybe that's a poor reflection of my parenting. But anyway, we kind of do the nursery rhyme thing. There's just some things that are off about nursery. I thought maybe we have Humpty Dumpty, the egg thing and it's Easter. Let's just try this out, okay? And we'll survive this together. Let's look at a story. Look at this opening statement of Humpty Dumpty's life, you ready? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. I've got some problems here. First of all, what is a Humpty Dumpty? You ever thought of that? What what is this guy? Mama buys a book and it's a picture of this ginormous egg dude with arms and legs, with eyes and a nose and a mouth. He's got a little blue hat and blue overalls and he's pissed off as a human being. He's not. little weird, right? He's this giant egg thing. And and honestly, at the very core, let's just agree for this this morning, a little bit of a freak of nature, okay? I'm not sure what Humpty Dumpty is. Now, here's the part of this opening phrase that, that really gets me going is, what parent on the planet gives birth to this and then names him Humpty Dumpty? Right, you ever thought about, not only did they give Bircher a fingernail, now they just named this guy with the worst name in history. And he's gotta go with this for the rest, as if things were not bad enough for Humpty Dumpty. And then we see the very summation of his life is this, that he went on and he flew in space, part of our armed services. Went on to be president, no, he sits on a wall. That's the summation of this, the guy sits on, how many of y'all for fun on the weekends just go and and sit on walls? (laughs) Pastor Joe, okay, good. Anyway, that's great, right? Not most of us, this is a summation of his life. It's, it's pretty bleak, guys. We have a freak of nature, a terrible name. And now his life consists of sitting on walls. Now here's where it starts to get good. Watch this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. I wasn't there. But I wonder what really happened here. I, I, you know, maybe he was pushed. Maybe, you know what I think took place? He took a look in the mirror, looked at his birth certificate, saw that he was named Humpty Dumpty. Realized the summation of his life that he sat on. I think the boy jumped that day. I think think he's on that very wall. He said, I think he just jumped. Hey, listen, let's just break everything into pieces here. And there he lays at the bottom of the wall. And now he's broken all into pieces. Now here's my favorite part of the whole entire nursery. This is where it gets a little even weirder. Look what it says here. And all the king's... Let me ask you something. You wake up in the middle of the night, you got a pain on your right side, you know your appendix is fixing to blow, and here you, got, you go to Lecomte Medical Center. You're that there in the surgery bay, and all of a sudden what you see scrubbing up is, is a horse scrubbing up, getting ready to perform surgery on you. You're done, and that horse, it doesn't make sense. All the king's horses and all the king's men. What horse do you trust to do in surgery? And now he's got to piece back together this, this broken egg man that nobody knows much about. And, and all of a sudden, you just go, man, this story is weird. A little off. Hey, can I share with you real quick what Humpty Dumpty's greatest problem was? You ready? It wasn't that he was an egg man sort of freak of nature. It wasn't even that his name was Humpty Dumpty, although that was a bad name. It wasn't the fact that his life was somebody sitting up on a wall or even that his life was broken into pieces. You know what his greatest problem was? He went to the wrong king to fix his problems. You ever been there? You ever been to the wrong king to fix your problems? We find that this impossible situation was made even more impossible because he went to the wrong king. Today, in today's passages, we find a king in an impossible situation, and we are reminded by this very king that our God can do the impossible, and by such that this is the king, the right king, the only king that can fix every broken piece, every broken place in your life and in my life. Last week, we we looked at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We watched as the crowd celebrated him as king, but sadly, we noted that Jesus was not the king they really wanted. But all the more, Scripture taught us that he may not have been the king they wanted, but we know that Jesus was the king they needed. And church, hear me this morning. Jesus may not be all you want him to be, but he is exactly the king that you and I need him to be. And this week as we celebrate our first Easter services together, we simply look at and we celebrate the Easter story. Talk about an impossible situation. We take a glimpse today through the roughest chapters, the darkest hours of Jesus' life as we begin to peer into there we find that on thursday of this past week jesus celebrated a feast the, the passover feast with his disciples and from there he went on into a garden of gethsemane to pray and as he went and prayed in the garden we quickly find that jesus was overwhelmed by something and scripture taught us that that something was the cup was the cup and you and i would go what's so what's so scary about a cup <laughs> all right what what's so terrifying that would deserve our prayer that would make us overwhelmed about just a simple cup And yet we find Jesus in the garden overwhelmed by such a cup. Here's what we know of scripture in Jeremiah chapter 25, Isaiah chapter 51, that there was a cup that symbolized the very wrath of God being poured out against mankind. And I'm going to tell you, when Jesus went to the garden, that was the very cup Jesus had on his mind, the cup of God's wrath against our sin. And Jesus was overwhelmed by that cup. You know why? Because he knew that that was the very cup that had to be poured out upon him and he knew it and his heart was heavy and so too were the eyes of the disciples that he tapped to pray with them. Time and time again, they fell asleep on Jesus in his darkest hours and he'd wake them up but again, they'd fall asleep. Yet Jesus prayed. In Matthew chapter 26, we get a glimpse into what's going on here. It says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Hey, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in an impossible situation where you, where you cried out for God to do the impossible in your life and God answers it differently than you had hoped? You see, we find Jesus in the very same in the garden. We begin to pray and find that Jesus, as he prays, asks God that this cup would pass from him. And I'm so grateful that the gospel writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, included this prayer because it's a reminder to us as Jesus prays, if there's any other way, it's a reminder to us that there was no other way than the cross of Christ for you and I to know forgiveness and freedom from our sins, that there was no other way but the cross. And what we note about Jesus's prayer life from here is that he no longer prayed that the cup would pass from him, but he would go from here and pray for success in drinking the cup. Look how Dr. Luke describes this. In Luke chapter 22 in his gospel, he says this, and being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Imagine the anguish, the anxiety How overwhelmed Jesus was in this moment. In fact, medically, Jesus is undergoing a rare phenomenon called hematidrosis. Now what would happen is when a person gets to such a degree of stress and anxiety in their life, the body releases a chemical that breaks down the capillaries right underneath the skin and blood begins to pour into sweat glands. And so at such a moment as this, as a person would sweat, there would be blood mixed in with their sweat. And we find exactly that's where Jesus is. You know, I think, I think about this anguish in his heart and as, I, as, he, as he considered the cup that was to be poured out upon him on the cross. And I am overwhelmed with this thought. It's impossible for him to survive the stress of this. It's impossible for him to overcome such anguish and for it not to take a toll on Jesus' health. How does anyone survive? But then I think all the more, and I think this cup, this cup should have been poured out on me. This was my sin that God's wrath was being poured out against, and yet Jesus is sweating blood because it's about to be poured out on him. But church, hear me. As we find Jesus in the garden praying, we find sweating blood and drops of blood falling to the ground. This was not the cup. The cup had yet to be poured out on Jesus. From there in the garden, we find that Jesus is unjustly arrested, stemming from unfounded allegations and accusations from the religious leaders of the day. Talk about an impossible situation. He was taken to trial after trial, the first trial before Annas. In the very early morning hours, the second trial, the primary trial before the Sanhedrin, where there they condemned Jesus as who he thought he was and who they would not affirm him to be. Then very early in the morning, a third trial took place. Just another re- reminder and recommendation of the condemnation of Jesus. And then Jesus is sent to Pilate for a fourth trial. Pilate wanted to wash his hands up, sends him to Herod. Herod didn't get the miracle he wanted. Send it back to Pilate for a sixth trial. And ultimately, Jesus is condemned to die. Talk about an impossible situation. So here we have Jesus. Picture this with me. He is sleep-deprived. He has traveled miles that night from one trial to the next. Physically, he is exhausted. Emotionally, he is exhausted. Yet the cup has yet to be fully poured out. Jesus heads to the praetorium where he's stripped of his clothes. His hands are bound together, fixed to a post in the middle of that arena. And soldiers who would earn their pay that day took hold of whips in their hands. And not just any whip, it was a whip made of leather bands that woven inside were metal and lead balls, right? Also woven inside were were pieces of shrapnel from from bone fragments, from metal fragments, from glass fragments. And and these soldiers who were trained to know what it is to beat a man within an inch of his life began to earn their keep. In Jewish custom, they would would lash Jesus' back 40 lashes minus 139 times. And at every cracking of the whip, The lead balls would would begin to break the skin, and the shrapnel therein would grab a hold of meat and muscle and rip it from Jesus's body. Lash after lash after lash, talk about an impossible situation. Time after time, from the top of his shoulders to the back of his legs, Jesus endured An incredible beating. Eusebius, a third century historian, watched such a beating, and he described it this way. A man's veins were laid bare. His spinal cord would be exposed. And you could see his very entrails, the very organs inside his body. And yet, church, the cup had yet to be fully poured out on Jesus. He had yet to drink fully from the cup of God's wrath. Many a man died in the praetorium, but not Jesus, because he had yet to drink fully from the cup. But those who didn't die experienced such a pain that a word was created excruciating that men from without the cross, from out of the cross. Jesus is beaten. He goes from there, and men fashion a crown of thorns. And they fix it deep into his scalp. With a robe they threw on his back and a staff they put in his hands. They mocked him as king. And then, yet again, they took the staff and they beat him. And here Jesus was broken and bleeding, and yet he had yet to fully drink the cup. From this moment, Jesus would have been suffering something known medically as hypovolemic shock. First, his heart would begin to race to try to pump blood to his body that just wasn't there due to the blood loss. Second, his blood pressure would continue to plummet, causing fainting and collapsing, which was evident. As Jesus was strapped with 110 pounds of wood upon his back and sent towards Calvary where he would be crucified. Third, his kidneys would begin to fail due to a lack of volume of blood and fluid in his body. And fourth, the person would become so obsessively thirsty that we find that Jesus on the cross would cry out, I thirst. Jesus is dying before he even takes up the cross. But he had yet to drink fully the cup as he got to calvary 5 to 7 inch nails tapered at the end awaited them along with centurions and soldiers who knew what it was to crucify a man and there they laid jesus upon the cross and he stretched out his arms And as they stretched out his first arm, they they took the spike to his wrist and they began to hammer away until no longer could he fight with his right hand. He was now pinned to the cross. They took his left hand and did the same and they pinned his left hand to the cross. Can you imagine the pain that would shoot throughout his body? And we find humanly, now it is impossible for Jesus to fight back. And then they took his feet, they bent his knees, They layered one foot atop the other. And they drove a spike into the arch of his feet. And now it was humanly impossible for Jesus to to get off the cross. But guys, hear me. The cup had yet to be poured out. Jesus had yet to fully drink the cup. As Jesus was pinned to the cross, they had they dug a hole in the ground where many a criminal had died, many a cross had stood. And they picked that cross up that Jesus was on and they dropped it into that hole. And for the first time, the very one who breathed life into all of us now would know the torture of breathing on the cross. As the cross fell into the hole for the first time, Jesus would know what it was to push up on the spikes on his feet, to pull up on the spikes in his hand, just to take a breath. And to do this from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m., it was impossible for Jesus to breathe much longer. As he hung on the cross, He would grow weaker and weaker, moment by moment. His breathing would slow down. Carbon dioxide would build up in his bloodstream, causing respiratory acidosis. It was setting in. And eventually, he would begin having congestive heart failure. Fluid would fill his lungs, and fluid would fill around his heart. Jesus was dying, and he knew it. And then, due to such shock to his body, his heart rate began to increase, doing everything it could to survive. But church, it was impossible for Jesus to survive. Second Corinthians chapter 5, look at this. Verse 21. Talk about the cup. Watch what the Bible says. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, it was upon the cross in his last moments that God would pour out his cup of wrath against our sin upon Jesus. And that very pouring out of the cup killed Jesus on the cross. Jesus cried, It is finished. The fluid and the stress was so great on his heart that the pericardial sac, which which surrounds and protects the heart, was ruptured. So when he died, a soldier pierced his side and blood and water flowed. And, And for all practical purposes, Jesus died of a broken heart. Why? Because the cup of my sin and your sin was poured upon him. He was dead. Talk about an impossible situation. His mama stood there and watched her boy die and she couldn't save him. The disciples who deserted him, who were filled with such great shame and guilt, even if they had formed a team to try to rescue him, they could not save Jesus. In fact, Jesus wouldn't save himself because in saving himself, he would deny us the opportunity to be saved by him. God didn't save his son. God subjected his son to the cross because of his great love for you and for me. You see, on Friday, victory seemed impossible, our salvation improbable, and defeat was the only plausible conclusion. But it was Friday, and little did many of them know that Sunday was coming. You see, there was no coronation for my king. Rather, he adorned a crown of thorns and laid upon a criminal's cross. We are reminded that Friday was a hard day, was an impossible day, but Sunday's coming. My king traded the trappings of his crown for the torture of an old rugged cross. It's Friday but Sunday's coming. My king filled the grave, a borrowed tomb, but little did they know that God himself, the grave robber of all of history, would soon empty out that tomb because it's Friday and Sunday's coming. My king faced the impossible and showed the world that the Father is, was, and will forever be the God of the impossible. Church, hear me, it was Friday, but Sunday is coming.